This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. And uh, all the way from the north side of Chicago. Living in Chicago in February, it's good to be anywhere but Chicago. Um, and uh, if you've got anybody that complains to you about the snow, you can tell them. The guy from Chicago brought the snow um, this past week. I, my wife and I were so excited. We were looking forward to getting here. And we got here to snow. And we're like, what are we coming to North Carolina in February for? Um, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not supposed to be this way. And so we're looking forward to 60 and sunny today, even if you are not. All right? Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And it is, um, it is good to be with you this morning. It's always good to be with one of my best friends in the world. And uh, your pastor, uh, he and Sarah uh, and the girls, uh, we, our family loves them. And uh, we're, we're just excited to be with you today. Obviously, uh, we've been praying for your church uh, since its launch. We're excited for how the Lord has worked and uh, thankful, for, uh, thankful for the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, I was just thinking... I got a text from a pastor in California whose church will meet when we're gone. Uh, our church will start uh, in about 50 minutes in Chicago. The church will meet in Chicago. The church is meeting here. In some places around the world, it's already met and it's closed for the day. They're done. They've gone home, but the church continues to meet. And praise the Lord that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Um, we're excited for your church, past, present, future. And uh, excited for what the Lord is going to do and will do. And, and to thank you for being so flexible. You drove all the way from wherever you drove. And Mindy and I, my wife's here, sitting back by Josh. Uh, we flew from Chicago. So it's good to be uh, wherever the Christians are. And uh, regardless of the building, it's nice to gather. Would you bow with me one more time in prayer? And I want to intro the message and then we'll look at the text. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you this morning uh, because of the finished work of the cross. It's because of Jesus that we can come before you. Lord, we come seeking to know your word, uh, seeking to be changed and molded and shaped by the truth of Scripture. Uh, Lord, trusting that your spirit who indwells all believers uh, will illuminate a te- this text and will uh, help us with the application of this truth. Thank you for this church. Uh, Lord, there are uh, their faithfulness to the scripture, their faithfulness to exalt the name of Jesus in song and in fellowship and in the word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless Keystone. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you'll be with Ravenswood as they uh, begin to assemble there on the little corner in Chicago. I uh, pray that you'll bless them. Lord, be with our time together this morning. I pray that the word of God uh, will, will uh, speak deeply into our life, to our psyche, to how we think and how we live out of the gospel every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story. It's about two young fish who were swimming along one fine day when an older fish swam by and said to the two fish, Good morning, boys. How's the water? They kind of confusingly nodded and kept swimming along. A few minutes later, one of the fish said to the other, Hey, what in the world is water? Now, you might not even get how that's funny, uh, and that's okay, because it really isn't all that funny to us. Because 
fish like us, we, we live in an environment that we really don't even know. We don't even grasp it. Fish, unlike us, they lack the comprehension that there is something different out there. Now this is important because over the last couple months, your pastors have taught you about how Jesus through the gospel shows up in the water of our life. In the water in which we swim, and the gospel speaks into areas of our life that we never thought it spoke. I mean, for most of us, the gospel is it's what we believe to get saved. But how it affects how I think of my life, and how it affects how I think of who I am as a person, never even crosses our mind like water doesn't even cross the mind, if you will, of a fish. Now for many of us, this idea of identity, it's hijacked. It's, it's a hijacked theme in our world. Culture likes the idea of bringing up the topic of identity. Your pastors and leaders have been teaching you regarding this. And really what I believe is a central theme through Scripture. It's a regular part of our teaching at our church because I believe that actually every page of the Bible speaks to us in some capacity about this theme of identity. Now, identity is a word, according to uh, an author named Klein Snodgrass, one of the best names I've ever heard. Um, Snodgrass tells us that the word identity doesn't even come around until the 16th century. Although the word is somewhat newer to us as humans, man has constantly been wrestling with establishing identity. And the reason is, is because life is about identity construction. It's about forming and building an identity. And if life is about identity construction, then we know that as Christians, that a good God who has given us life surely has given us some kind of tools and blueprint for the construction. We know that God who loves us and God who has moved mountains for us, that that God has equipped us not only by the word, by the spirit, and by the community of faith that we can see a healthy, gospel-centered identity formed in us. Historically and culturally, man has done a good job with establishing identity. I mean, man doesn't really need help with establishing identity. And so it's not even comprehended in how we see identity formed. It, It happens in our subconscious. What is identity? Identity is the sum of everything that pertains to us and shapes us. Identity is that sense of being and self-understanding that frames our actions, communicates to others who we are, and sets the agenda for our acts. Identity drives life. It provides the energy and motivation for all else. And so, a grasping of this and the proper construction of an identity is vital to our spiritual health. It's vital to our spiritual health. Now, the best way to see identity in your everyday life is in two movements or two concepts. And I believe Josh has brought these up. It's a traditional identity and a modern identity. A traditional identity says this. Now stay with me because all this is introductory to where we're going. A traditional identity says this. It says that others define me. Now, I won't stay on this for very long, but this... Traditional identity is lived out when we ask our family, our tribe, our city, 
and even, yes, our church to give us identity. It's also a boss that tells us that we're a great employee, and so now we've allowed another to define us. Keep in mind, this is not inherently wrong, but as we'll see, and as you have probably learned, this is not a durable identity construct. If we ask others to define us constantly, we will inevitably live for the constant affirmation and approval of another. If we ask others to define us, we will crush people by the weight of our expectation for their approval. If we're a husband who demands a wife to give me a healthy identity as being her husband, we will inevitably crush that wife with the expectation of being what we need her to be, and vice versa, a wife to a husband. And so the traditional identity, which again is not bad, tells us that we ask others to constantly define us. Tell me I'm a good child. Tell me I'm a good Christian pastor. Tell me I'm a good coworker to my boss. Tell me I'm a good spouse or a good parent. And we live with that constant traditional identity. A modern identity is what we're seeing nowadays in our life and in our culture. It's not new to American society. In fact, the United States of America was founded on this idea that you're not going to tell me who I should be. The birthing of our country was built on what is called a modern identity, which says this, I define me, and now several hundred years later, we have a culture that is doing what the, the country was birthed to do. And it says, I define me. And this is that identity that screams out that says, I know who I am, and you don't get to tell me who I am. I know who I am. Self-help books say, be the best you that you can be. Now what happens in the modern identity is that freedom, and the freedom to say, I want to be who I think I am, becomes another source of bondage. Think with me for a moment. A traditional identity puts me in bondage to others. A modern identity puts me in bondage to my own self and my own discovery of who I think I am. And so what happens in that bondage is you're so desperate for freedom that the, that the, the, the seeking out of freedom becomes a taskmaster. It becomes your Lord. You've now become the prisoner of chaos, self-reinvention. You're now the prisoner of constant self-expression and self-evaluation and finding the better and true you. And then what happens with a modern identity is it becomes a traditional identity again. Because what happens is when you don't tell me and you don't agree with what I claim to be, now I'm mad at you because you don't affirm my identity. And so it becomes this giant cycle. It becomes a giant cycle of I need to find me, and when I find me, if you don't approve of who I am, then it's your fault, you're the enemy. This vicious cycle. Now what I want to do today is I want to journey with you quickly through the third chapter of Genesis. Not all of it. And I want to give you a picture of identity from the beginning, and I want us to see how Jesus fits into this story. Now before I do, let me just quickly explain to you this. The Christian worldview and who we are as Christians, proposes an identity that is given to us from the very beginning. God created, and here's how it happens. God created Adam, and in God's creation of Adam, Adam receives an identity. Genesis chapter 1 tells us how that identity shapes out. That God made us, and God said, let us make man in our image. So God makes man. God makes man in his image. And here's another implication of God in creation. 
Notice in verse number 27. Male and female created He them. So the three implications that are sacred from this text is in the creation of man, God created man, God makes man in His image, and God made man male and female. Now this is all good. This is all sacred. It's even durable. At this moment, it's very durable. Man is in his best place. He's in his best place when lived under the identity that his Creator had given him. But, then that's when the Christian knows what comes next. What comes in chapter 3 is the fall. So what was once a durable identity, now is entering into an identity crisis. An identity crisis. Notice with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 3, and let's look very quickly at verse number 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. All good, right? God has established an identity. He gets to tell us how we're to live. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And notice this next phrase. And ye shall be as gods. And ye shall be as gods. The identity crisis kicks up. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also in her husband, and he did eat. Now, stop there for a moment. Two statements that stand out here that speak to the identity crisis. Ye shall be as gods. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. You're going to be as gods, and you're going to have incredible wisdom. And so this is the identity crisis. I can be something that I'm not, which will give me security, and I will be known for something that will make me. Something that will make me be significant. So this is what creates an identity crisis. I can be something that I'm not, and I will now be something that will make me feel significant. You see, that is where we establish identity. Track with me for a moment. What makes you feel secure and what makes you feel significant is the place where you often find identity. Where you feel secure and where you feel significant. The truth is, God had already made Adam and Eve secure. And in His creation, they were already significant. But they thought they knew better, and they thought they needed more. And so, these two very serious reactions come from the fall. Number one, I know this is information overload, but just stay with me, please. Number one, we are no longer whole. We are no longer whole. We have, by implication of sin, become broken. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But we cannot be trusted to know best what we need apart from our Creator. We might know right and wrong by common grace. We understand that. That God has given us a conscience. That God has given us the ability to grasp right and wrong. But we cannot be trusted to think rightly and to function rightly apart from divine direction. This is what it means to no longer be whole. That man left to himself is not going to function the way his Creator made him to function. But there's a problem with that. Not only 
isn't that we're not whole, but we need our Creator, but we're no longer in a good place with our Creator. Right? We're no longer in a good place with our Creator. In our fallenness, man wants to be his own God. Therefore, he is against God. And so the entire fall of man informs us that God makes man in his image. Yet, man has chosen to move from the identity of created to that, according to Romans chapter 5, of enemy. An enemy. Romans 5.10, For if, when we were enemies... You see, in our fallen state, we live as broken enemies of God. We're at enmity with God, Romans chapter 8. And therefore, we're unable in our own doing to create for ourselves a healthy and durable identity. And so all modern and traditional identities lived out in the fallen state of a person is never going to satisfy the depth of longings that people have. It's important that we don't miss this. Because people are broken, because fallen man is not whole, no identity structure will ever satisfy our heart. So there is now only one response. Broken, sinful man must do his best to cover himself with his own identity construction. He must create identities. He must, he must ask every identity around him to make him feel good about himself, to pick up the insecurities and to pick up the lack of significance that man feels. And so man asks everything around him to now construct a healthy him. And when everything around him fails, now man has to look inward to a broken self to create a healthy identity. And it's all a mess. This is where it is. It's all a mess. Now this is the overview of this, and this is how this filters down to you and me. But I want you to see what happens next. Because here's where man often lives. This is where it gets hyper-practical. Notice in verse number 7 of Genesis 3. I'm just going to read this first, these first verses. And the eyes of them were both opened, so they eat of the fruit. Their eyes of them are both opened, and they, know, they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cold day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Now stop right there. Their first response in their fallenness and in their brokenness is to do something that makes no sense to us because we have clothing, thank God. To sew fig leaves together. They do so to cover their nakedness, which is ultimately to cover their shame. Now understand this. When we attempt, everybody hear this, when we attempt to find identity from outside of ourselves with a person or a group or within ourselves, we are simply trying to cover some sort of shame, inefficiency, or longing of our hearts. And it won't work. We're literally trying to fig leaf our life. And it won't last. The fig leaves gave a temporary covering. But what happens? Leaves die. They're temporary. The same thing happens when you find an identity in yourself or in your achievements. Or yes, even in your failures. You have to eventually go get more fig leaves. Over and over and over again. And life begins to be a constant fig leaf Sewing contest of covering my pain, covering my shame, 
covering my failures. And yes, even asking victories in my life to cover me. So, when an identity is solely found in being a spouse or a parent or a business professional, or yes, even a religious person, you have to keep demanding new fig leaves to come and to cover your identity issues. You have to cover insecurities. You fig leaf it by guarding yourself from people. You, you, you feel insignificant, so you either act overly significant and have to make people recognize your significance or you're insignificant and you hide away. And what happens is a constant battle of sowing fig leaves in our life and this becomes how we find identity. You're ultimately constructing an identity like a house that's without a roof or a house without a wall. Eventually, occasionally in North Carolina, snow will fall and you'll need some kind of covering. At the end of the day, a fragile identity comes when a broken person asks broken people and broken things to make them whole. Let me say that again. At the end of the day, a fragile identity comes when a broken person asks broken people and broken things to make them whole. A broken young lady asks a broken young man to make her whole, and the identity is fragile. A broken dad asks his son to make him complete and significant, yet the son himself is broken. A young man grows up and intends to prove his own truth and his own identity, and he does so from the brokenness of his own soul. And so we do what Adam and Eve do. We try to cover ourselves with fig leaves. And when the fig leaves don't work, I want you to notice what happens. In Genesis chapter 3, and for time I won't go into it, it's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault. Adam doesn't blame Eve first. Adam blames God first. It's the woman you gave me. Now, I'm going to stop here and just say, you want to know where you're finding identity? What do you complain about the most? What do you complain about the most? What do you verbalize worry and frustration about the most? So Adam then blames his wife. And we have this fig leaf war going on. Now I want you to stop for a moment. And I want you to think. None of this applies if you don't make it actionable and practical in your life and give it some handlebars. What are your fig leaves? Are they a spouse? Is it a job? Is it failure? Is it insecurity? Is it a lack of feeling significant? Is it being mistreated? Is it, yes, even being victorious in something? But I need you to understand something. Because man is fundamentally broken. And fig leaves die. You're asking an identity to to make you whole that will do nothing but make you hurt. So there's got to be a better answer, right? There's got to be something. I want you to notice Genesis 3 again. Notice in verse 15. This is God's response to Satan and to Adam and Eve. And I will put enmity between thee, speaking of Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We'll stop here right quick. Let me just tell you, that's what we call 
the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel. The first gospel in Genesis chapter 3. The promise that Satan would bruise the heel of one who is going to come. It's going to afflict temporary damage and pain. But the one who comes, the seed of the woman will come. And the seed of the woman will bruise or crush the head of the serpent. This is the gospel. The gospel that says, Satan, you've done this. And Satan, you have... You have won a little bit. And Satan, on the cross, it will look like you're going to be winning and that it's going to be your victory. But Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. And the first gospel is good news to people like me who have identity problems in their life because it tells me that a hero is going to come. And a hero is going to come to put the end of the conflict. He's going to bring peace to the war that is raging between God and man. See, the end of Romans chapter 5 was this. For if when we were enemies, I stopped there earlier, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And you might be sitting here and you go, I know this, Dustin. I've heard this all my life. Great. Hear it again. Because this is going to speak into where we just were. Jesus, the hero. Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, our rescuer, has come. And He has made peace available through His death. He has made reconciliation possible for all of His enemies out there. All of His enemies. He provides a new way. Genesis 3 shows us what He'll do. Now notice these verses. Genesis 3, verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed or covered them. Fig leaves were covering them before. Inefficient. Broken. Dying. Dead. Now what happens? God comes and He kills an innocent animal to take its skin. God covers them. Hear me. After the innocent animal died for the guilty. Think about that. The innocent for the guilty. In salvation... God offers us the covering of the blood and the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And how does this come about? The innocent died for the guilty. The innocent was killed for me. If you're a Christian here this morning, when you came to Christ in faith, you received the covering of Christ's righteousness. He was the innocent one who became an enemy on the cross so that you and I, the guilty might be made righteous. You see, the greatest mountain that's been moved for us was what happened on the hill called Calvary, on Golgotha. It is that He who who, who came for us, the innocent one, took our mountain of guilt, of sin and shame and brokenness, and Jesus made it all right. It was death. What is wrong and broken by the fall is now being made right by Jesus. And so you say, Dustin, what does that have to do with my identity? Everything. Everything. Because the gospel does what I cannot do. The gospel gives what I could not get. Now, 
I no longer need to ask fig leaves of a broken world and broken people to validate me and give me identity. I no longer need to ask people who are having their own security and significant struggles. I no longer need to ask them to give me security. And I no longer need to ask them to give me significance. You see, I am now free. I am now free and you are now free to come to the one who has taken our place and he has taken our fig leaves and he has taken them away and covered us with His own righteousness. Hear me. With His identity. That's what happened. You see, I was an enemy and He was the friend. And on the cross, He became the enemy so that I could become the friend. And on the cross, I was the guilty one, but He took my guilt. And so now I stand before God innocent. I no longer am defined by my problems. I am no longer defined by my struggles. I am no longer defined by what makes me good so that I think, so I think. But hear me, it is Christ who makes me secure and it is Christ who makes me significant. And remember, where you find identity is where you look for security and where you find significance. So here's the gospel to you this morning. If you've come to Christ in faith, the gospel is still for you. It says this, you weren't good enough to come to Jesus at the beginning. You weren't good enough to get God. You needed Christ to come between you. But now you've been given Jesus. So as you ask something outside of you to validate you, the gospel says this, only Jesus can validate you. And when you ask something inside to validate you, the only thing inside is the Holy Spirit who says to me, you are loved. You are, you are favored. You are, you, are, uh, you are God's child. You are a son. You're a daughter. You've been given a new identity. You're no longer that old man. Man, you are now in Christ. And so when the world says to me, who do you think you are? The Holy Spirit says, Scripture tells you who you are. And so here's a key statement. Only Jesus can authoritatively and definitively validate you. Only Jesus. You're not going to be validated by tomorrow, and you're not pushed aside by yesterday. The gospel identity that Josh had shared, we saw the traditional, we saw the modern, and here's what Josh had shared with you. My identity is this. I am who Jesus says I am. I tell our church family this, and I'm going to ask you, and we're going to close. Why is it that the shackles of sin have been broken from us by the cross, but now we reshackle ourselves to broken identities? The gospel frees me. This is true freedom. You see, brokenness says, I am my mistakes, but the gospel says, I am Jesus' perfection. Brokenness says, I am my successes. The gospel says, your successes weren't enough. You need Jesus' success. Brokenness says, I have to find me. And the gospel says, Jesus has found me. Brokenness says, I do what makes me feel secure. And the gospel says, I'm secure in Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. Brokenness says, I need to feel significant. But the gospel says that Christ's cross says that you have value. Brokenness says, I need to be free from who I am. The gospel says, I am free to now be who Jesus says I am. The truth of this whole thing is this. There's only one identity, 
that stays with you for eternity. In eternity, you will not be known as a father, a mother, a son, a husband, a wife, an employee. In eternity, this is going to be your identity. I belong to Jesus. That's it. I belong to Jesus. You'll never lose it. It can never be taken away from you. And so I ask you this morning, as you guys close out this series, I think a vitally important series, who or what are you asking to give you identity? Can I encourage you? Grow in that gospel shape to you. This is who Jesus says you are. Be in your small group and let that small group develop and construct that identity. Embrace, as Josh spoke on last week, the spiritual disciplines of Scripture and prayer and corporate worship and, and, and more that are meant to continue this identity construction. At the end of the day, a gospel identity is built through the gospel-infused, spirit-empowered Christian life. This, my friends, this is the new you. That old you, broken. The new you, made whole in Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I do not mean to be offensive to you, but the gospel is somewhat offensive. It says, you bring nothing to the table of value other than God created you and loves you. You have no works to bring? Hear me, here's the good news. And none of your bad works, so to speak, matter. What matters is that Christ died for you. That Jesus died in your place. That is the Christian gospel. It says you are guilty, and the innocent one came and as a substitute died for you. See, it can't be that easy. Oh, it wasn't easy for Jesus, but it's that easy for us. We come to Christ in faith, receiving his righteousness. We apply that to our life. And so tomorrow morning when you walk into work, it doesn't mean you become reckless and lawless, it means you walk in going, I am not who these people say I am. And by the way, you don't leave today going, I am who Dustin says I am. No, no, we walk every day going, I am who Jesus says I am. This is the new me. Grow in that new identity by God's grace. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.